So there's more to come. If you are not involved in the stuff that's going on right now with, with uh, middle and high school ministry, um, come talk to me. I'll tell you about it because I'm on their Instagram and see what's coming up. They have a couple more cool things planned this, uh, through the rest of the summer. So that's a great opportunity to get engaged with uh, you through our, through our county. Um, and the next thing I want to share with you about is the something you've heard Rich say. So I'll do my best to do a Rich thing here. Um, probably won't sound the same, but one of the ways, and, and if you've been part of the CTK family for a while, you know this, one of the ways that we worship is by giving back to God through our tithes and offerings. Um, we will not be passing a bucket here, but if you're here in person, there will always be something in the back of the auditorium at the end of the service. And if you're online again, uh, give.ctk.church is the best way to do that. So you may have noticed the absence of the Warner family. They're on vacation. The Warners will be back next week. But I get the pleasure of introducing our speaker this morning, who's going to bring a message. I heard a little sneak peek. I'm pretty stoked. Um, uh, Brian Steele is a staff pastor in CTK Bellingham. I see the, I see the fist bumps. Uh, if you've had the pleasure of hearing Brian, you're going to love what he's going to bring this morning. Uh, also, if you need any hiking tips for Watkins County, you'll probably be on. Brian is your guy as well. So with no further ado, would you help me welcome Brian to the stage? Thank you. Well, I uh, my name is Brian. I'm a pastor at Christ the King Bellingham, but I've lived in Ferndale since 2016. Anybody else agree that Ferndale has the best view of Mount Baker? Yeah. I love living in Ferndale, except for 10 days out of the year. Five of those days, my wife and I, we live on the back of that big dairy farm up on the top of Church Road. Five of those days, they fertilize the field. You know what I'm talking about. Not happy about that. The other five of those days, we get the Northeaster, and we're lined up perfectly with the Fraser River Valley. And the Arctic blast five or six days out of the year is just brutal on top of the hill. So we get the full force. I'm super grateful that they don't fertilize during the Northeaster. So, today we're taking a look at Psalm 34. It describes the incredible grace of God that's available for your life right now, even in the middle of the worst and most difficult circumstance. Now, Psalm 34 has had a really important part in my life and the life of my wife, Katie, who's here right now, for over 10 years, this psalm has shaped and formed us, formed us as we've gone through these ups and downs. But before we get into Psalm 34, I need to share a background story with you. In the 1920s, Ira Yates owned 26,000 acres in southwest Texas, this rugged, area of Texas, and he was a sheep farmer, and one year, a horrible storm wiped out all of his flock, and he was completely destitute. He ended up on food stamps, he was bankrupt, his life was absolutely in desperate circumstances. He had heard that oil had been discovered in other parts of Texas, and he thought, I might as well give it a try. He drilled, brought in a crew. Drilled an exploration well, nothing. Drilled another one, nothing. Drilled a third one, nothing. And he is absolutely desperate. 
the last well that he drilled, they discovered the largest oil reserve in the United States. And for over a hundred years now, they've produced over a billion barrels of oil on the Ira Yates property. And there's another billion to go. Friends, this is a picture of God's grace. That there is a power and a goodness and a love that's right below our feet. If we know how to tap into that and to access His grace. And that's what Psalm 34 is all about. It's about God's amazing, immeasurable riches of His grace that are available for us. So we're going to jump in uh, and just we're going to read through Psalm 34. We're just going to take the first ten verses of it, but it begins like this. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that, that this is a psalm of your mighty, powerful, rich grace. That all of us are standing right on top of, and we might not even know it's there. Lord, I know that there's people here that are in desperate circumstances. That there's people here right now that feel like they're at the end of their road. And even for, for others, we, we desperately need you, even when life seems to be good. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you speak now to each one of us? Would we know the riches of your grace that you're offering us right now in this place? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is a really good psalm, right? It's really encouraging. And, and just hearing that, it might have really touched your heart, but really we're just standing on the surface and we're going to drill down into Psalm 34. But in order to do that, to experience the, the, the full impact of the psalm, you need to know the backstory of its author, King David. You know that David, you might be familiar with the story, was the little shepherd boy, and one day this prophet Samuel shows up, dumps a bunch of oil on his head, and says, you're going to become the king of Israel. 
He's going to take over for the existing King Saul. And, and this was really strange that David would be anointed king. He was the youngest of his family. Raise your hand if you're the baby of the family. Okay, so you guys know what that means. Thank you. Uh, he was from a small town, Bethlehem, Hodom, middle of nowhere. He was a shepherd. He was of the lowest social class. And this is the one that God anointed to become king. Well, early in his life, after getting anointed, uh, that's when he gets sent to the battle lines, and here's this kid with five stones, and he, de he defeats the Philistine giant Goliath. And that's a great start. I want you to remember that Goliath is from the town of Gath, because that's going to show up later in the story. It's important. So David defeats the Philistine king, or Philistine giant from uh, Gath. And then King Saul notices this kid, and he takes David into his palace. David gets bounced from the shepherd's field into the palace of the king. So today it would be like the high school sophomore who's washing cars on the used car lot, and then the Apache helicopter shows up and says, you're going to start working in the Oval Office. It's that kind of radical change. Saul puts David in charge of his armies, and then David starts winning battle after battle after battle. He's scoring serious points. And David reaches the pinnacle of his fame, like people L-O-V-E, David, they're, they're singing songs about him, right? If it was today, the 12th man is showing up big time, whereas Twitter feed is exploding. He's on the box of the kosher Wheaties. David is like making it. Is this when he writes Psalm 34? Bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. It would seem like it's a psalm for the guy who has it all going for him, but it's not. That's not what he writes on. Because David falls hard. It begins with King Saul one day going, has anybody seen my marbles? Do you know where my marbles are? I can't. He goes crazy. He loses his marbles. Right? Saul gets really jealous and envious of all of the success that David has because people start singing this song. Well, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And King Saul goes crazy with envy and jealousy over David and starts to try to kill David. David has to flee for his life. He's living in caves. He's isolated. The most powerful man in the country is trying to hunt him down. And he gets then captured by who? The king of Gath. Remember that Goliath was from Gath. And now David, the one who killed the champion of Gath, gets captured by the king of Gath. Friends, if you ever slay Mickey Mouse on a battlefield, you don't want to end up in Disneyland. It's not the place for you, but there David is. In Gap. He has to pretend to be insane in order to escape. He has 
it, it says that there's spit dribbling down his beard, and he's just pretending to be crazy. So now David has fully humiliated himself in front of him. He flees to a cave in Agilom. And there in that cave, it says that he's surrounded by those bitter in soul and debt, discontent and in distress. David's supposed to be a, pal a king in a palace. Instead, he's a king in a cave, captain of losers. There's 400 people around him, and they're all desperate. It's at this miserable point in David's life when he writes Psalm 34. I want you to imagine yourself right now in that cave. Even would you just close your eyes. Picture yourself in that desperate place, in that cave with David. It's dark. You're starving. You're rejected and humiliated, fearful, surrounded by losers. You can hear the whining and the complaining echoing off the, the walls of the cave. It's cold. You're sore from sleeping on the hard stone. You smell body odor and human weight. Burning your nose. This is where David writes home. And the point is this God's grace is not limited by our weakness. You see, David was his life was reduced to rubble in that cave. He had very little resources of his own. And the question is, does God's Grace extends to the place of David's greatest weakness, his worst circumstances. See, David was led to believe that his life was going to be big. He was anointed king. But he wasn't a king in a palace. He was a king in a cave with this bleak future. And the question is, is God's grace available in our greatest disappointments in our It's okay, we've drilled down a little bit in the, in the story. But doesn't the psalm now take on a totally different meaning? I want you to listen to the psalm again, but this time put yourself in the place of those who were bitter in soul in the cave Hear the psalm as if David was singing it to you. Verse 1. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Remember, this is the lowest point of David's life. And, and yes, even in those times, God is worth worshiping. Verse 2, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. And really the only thing he has to boast about is some promise that God made to him. 
Verse 3, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. David, he's speaking to the bitter in soul, those that are distressed and weak, and he's inviting them to join him in worship, even in the cave. And when you feel like your world is small and confined and pressed down and cramped, your friends, just try magnifying because God's grace is vast. His name is worth magnifying, even in the worst circumstances. Verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Remember, David hasn't been delivered yet. His fears are real. Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. They're in a dark cave. And their faces are covered with shame. Verse 6, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And his troubles are still mounting. In fact, they're going to get worse later on in life. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Can't you imagine them just feeling all alone? Isolated, surrounded by enemy armies hunting them down, and yet they're confident that the angel of God is surrounding and encamping around them. Verse 8 Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And what were they eating? Their food supply would have been low, their mouths would have been cracked and parched and foul smelling, and what tastes were they experiencing? But God's grace was in that. Verse 9, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Remember, they're seeking refuge in the hollow of a rock, but not just a rock. David knew that he was in the hollow of God's hands. So fear the Lord, you his saints, those who fear him, have no lack. Isn't that irony? There's so much irony in that, but they're lacking practically everything. But when David directs their healthy fear of the Lord upwards, he's saying they lack nothing. Finally, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing, and they have want and hunger. They are physically lacking practically every good thing except for the riches of God's grace. George MacDonald was the mentor of C.S. Lewis, and he says this, When you have God, you don't need to have the answer of your prayers. When you have God, you don't need to have the answer to your prayers. Has anybody experienced that? Amen. At the end of your rope, and yet you found God was there, and you found him to be enough. Right? Why? Because God himself is our greatest need. God himself is our greatest need. More important than food or shelter or position or safety or achievement. And when you discover this, you've drilled down and you're now accessing the wealth of grace that's below your feet. David wasn't just 
pretending. He's not just fooling himself. He's not just doing the, ah, everything's going to be fine. He was living in reality. And, and David actually wrote eight different psalms about this occasion in the cave of Adjalim. And you read those other psalms, he's being very honest. It's not like some pretend I'm going to cover, I'm going to pretend my suffering isn't real. But God's kingdom, it's the land of Ant. God's kingdom is the land of and. It's our sufferings are real and God's grace is real at the same time. And the two don't cancel each other out. Yes, my suffering is here and God's power is available for me right now. When you live like that, you've drilled down into the riches of God's grace. Okay, we're going to dive even deeper into the psalm right now. Maybe we need a little deep breath before we go there. I think I do. Okay, we're going deeper, drilling down deeper into Psalm 34 because we need to make the connection between David and Jesus. Jesus is from the lineage of David. He's called the son of David. He was born in the same podunk town of Bethlehem, the town of David. Jesus had poor teenage parents. Jesus was born in a cave. Think of the small baby king Jesus in that manger. It wasn't like a wood shed. It was a, it was a cave. It was a rock cave. He was a king in a cave at birth. And like David, Jesus was nearly murdered by the existing king. For Jesus, it was Herod. For David, it was Saul. Jesus grew up working this blue-collar job. He didn't have the highbrow education. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd like David was the shepherd. Jesus was also the captain of the losers. His disciples were not cream of the crop. They were primarily the rejects. Practically everything about Jesus was poor. So from this nobody, from a podunk town, the entire kingdom of God springs. God's grace was overflowing, bubbling up, gusher from God's Son. The one who was seemingly insignificant overlooked and passed over. And, and at the end of his life, Jesus was a king in another cave as his body lay in the tomb. David was a king in a cave. Jesus was a king in a cave. But wrapped up in the dead silence of that tomb, the cold, dead body of the king, Lay the eternal hope of the eternal kingdom. Why? Because God's grace was at work in that cave. I want to tell you a story about a cave that, that, that I experienced with, along with my wife. In, uh, in 2016, Katie and I were hiking in Lake Tahoe. My parents lived there. It was a beautiful day. And all of a sudden, she fell down and had a seizure. And it was the longest two minutes of my life. 
When we got to the hospital, we found out that Katie had a walnut-sized brain tumor wrapped around her pituitary gland and her optical nerve. And when she's in that MRI tube, and I'm sitting there holding her hand as we're trying to figure out what's going on, that MRI room was a cave. Has anybody been there? Right? You do not want to be there. And I'm praying, like I knew this was going to be a brutal road. And Lord, would you give me something? Like I'm going to need a Bible verse for this because this is going to be really hard. And, and what I heard the Lord said was, was, don't hold on to a Bible verse, Brian. I want you to hold on to me. But friends, when you're in the cave, don't hold on to something. Hold on to someone. Amen. And that's what David was doing in his cave. He wasn't holding on to something. He didn't have anything to hold on to. He was holding on to someone. A couple weeks later, Katie had a nine-hour surgery at the University of Washington at neurology. And uh, I remember she's getting wheeled into the surgery center and I take off her, her wedding ring and I put it on my finger. And I don't know if I'm giving it back to her. The waiting room in the surgery center became another cave for me. Anybody been in that waiting room when somebody that you love is, right? You know, it's a cave. But I had invited people, and I called it a people that we love party. And people came through to that surgery center. And there was so much grace that God brought to me in that time. Just from people showing up. A couple hours into the surgery, um, this stranger approached me. And in my mind, like, I don't know, it's, it's weird. The longer I, I, I go from this event, like, the uglier she gets in my mind. But she has this really, like, in my mind... These super gnarly teeth, and that's what I remember. And, and she goes, I think God wants me to, to read something to you. Can I do that? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I don't know what's coming. She opens her Bible to Psalm 34. She starts reading. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I'm losing it. I broke down and completely lost. And friends, when you're in the cave, if scripture has been a part of your life, it can be the biggest channel of God's grace and blessing, even in the worst time. So she's reading this psalm, and she says, she gets down, she goes, I think verse 19 is especially for you, which says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all, and I'm just like weeping on the blubbering mess. A couple days later, some other friends who weren't part of this at all, didn't know any of this, send this picture to me. They had painted Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Amen. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Amen. Amen. 
be that God wants you to be the channel of grace to somebody using some talent or gift that you have right now. You might even be thinking of them right now. The surgery was successful. Katie eventually healed after some complications. And, but that's not the point. The point isn't that it's a happy ending. Because sometimes it's not. And we know that. It doesn't always end up with a happy ending. But the point is this. No matter where you are, God's grace is a source of immeasurable riches for us. I want to read Ephesians chapter 2. Listen, oh, before I get there, I want, I want to ask you, are you open to the riches of God's grace? Are you open to His goodness? Are you open to His presence? No matter the outcome of the surgery, no matter the outcome of the job interview, or the house offer, or the college application, or that lawsuit, are you open to his grace? So listen to Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 9. And as I'm reading this, I want you to picture Ira Yates, destitute, but sitting on top of 2 billion barrels of oil. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says this. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace we have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of your own doing. That not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, so that no one may boast, not as a result of works. Friends, God's immeasurable riches of grace are not just for a salvation decision that you made way back then, and they're not just for some eternity that's future and foggy and far off, but for right now. Even in your cave. When you have God, you don't need to have the answer to your prayers. His grace is enough. Amen. So Psalm 34, it doesn't make any sense unless God's grace is a real power and a real resource in the cave of David's lowest point of his life. The reason that David could honestly write Psalm 34 is because he knew the reality of God's presence. And he knew the riches of God's grace. David was rich before he got a throne or a crown. Remember that God's kingdom, it's the land of and. Its death or sufferings are real. That's, we're not being asked to deny the reality of our trials. But in the middle of our trials, that's not only true, it's God's grace is also true. It's suffering and goodness, and those don't cancel one another out. 
So think back to the story of Ira Gates. He's on the verge of ruin and bankruptcy. He's sitting on top of the largest oil reserve in the United States. That's the picture of God's grace for us. The question is, how can we draw on those riches? And I want to offer four channels of that grace in your own life. Right now, I want you to picture a kind of cave that you're in in your life. And, and it could be a broken relationship or maybe a bad situation at work or financial pressure or crisis. Maybe it's a, a pattern of sin that you can't escape in your life. Just get that image and even picture yourself in that cave right now. How can we access God's grace in that cave in your life? First thing is by God's Spirit. That when you delve into the depths of the Holy Spirit who is alive in you, you are delving into the depths of His grace as you learn to listen to the voice of the Spirit and follow His leading. God's grace will follow and fill your life. So number one, form a relationship with the Holy Spirit who's in you. Number two is God's Word. And don't just read the Bible, but meditate on it, memorize it, spend large chunks of time engaging with it. Like, pick a psalm to be the psalm of your life and live it out over decades. Talk about the Bible with others. When you let the Scripture invade your mind and your life, God's grace will follow. You'll have a new power to live a life that's flourishing, even in a cave. So we have God's spirit, we have God's word. Third, it's God's people. And other Christians are a major source of God's grace in your life. Form friendships around following Jesus together. And, and I guarantee eventually, if you're around church enough, you'll get some church wounds. It'll happen. Raise your hand. Anybody have church wounds up there? Okay, I do. If you don't yet, just hang around. You'll get some. <laughs> but it's worth it. It's worth it that God's people somehow become a major source of blessing in your life. When you're in the cave and the world is collapsed, God wants to use your community and sometimes even strangers with bad teeth to be a blessing to you. To have God's spirit, God's word, God's people, finally God's creation is an incredible channel of grace in your life. So I urge you to have a rhythm of disconnecting from technology and spending long stretches of time in God's creation because the beauty that's there, and the order and the goodness of this natural world is an incredible channel to experience God's grace. Like, watch that sunset. Go on the hike, plant a garden, stargaze, bird watch, and you're going to tap into the immense riches of grace that are literally right below your feet. I'm going to invite you to leave through that. Now, we're going to have a moment of, of listening to God as we close. Friends, would you close your eyes? 
This is going to be a personal time between you and the Lord. I want you to imagine yourself in the cave. You know that difficult situation. It's the place where your resources are exhausted. Your hopes are shattered. Where's the place where you feel helpless and alone? Have a moment just between you and the Lord. Right now, I want you to sense His presence in the cave with you. His grace is enough for you, friends. What's He saying to you right now? Amen. Mm-hmm. 